Greetings, you're on Deep Background for Wednesday, September 7th, a little less than nine weeks to go before Election Day. Dave Helling with the Kansas City Star, glad to be with you, along with Steve Kraske of KCUR's Up to Date. Hi, David. And uh, the Star, and then my colleague Scott Cannon with the Star as well. How are we doing? Great to be here, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Haven't been with you for a couple of weeks. We did Jay Nixon last week, but today we're going to talk about the state of the race and what coattails mean. Uh, the traditional feeling is that the top of the ticket may have some impact on down ballot races, uh, or there may be some reverse coattails where the down ballot guys help the top of the ticket. Along with everything else that's strange about this election season, trying to figure out what impact Hillary Clinton and, and um, Donald Trump have on the other races in Missouri and even in Kansas is pretty complicated. What's your view, Steve, that, that uh, what impact does Donald Trump, say, have on Roy Blunt or, or Eric Greitens, for that matter? Or do we get the sense that everybody this year, to a unique way, is running his or her own race, that there's you don't see any of these guys on the stage together. Yeah, I think it's the latter, David, more so than we've ever seen it before. You know, in broad terms, you get the sense that Hillary and Trump sort of cancel each other out, given how unpopular both of them are. I'm so struck by the polls this week in Missouri, which, you know, sort of show things going as you might think in a Republican-leaning state. Uh, but with one exception, glaring exception, that is <clears throat> Democrat Chris Coster leading uh, Eric Reitens in the race for governor. And that begins to suggest to me that voters are very much going up and down the ballot, you know, picking races that, you know, independent of each other as they go through their ballot. And we, ha we don't see that, I think, to this extent as we are seeing it this year. Um, you know, we talked to Neil Newhouse a couple of weeks yeah. ago. It used to be that ticket splitting was a pretty big deal, that people actually thought a little bit, but that's been declining dramatically over the years to the point now where maybe, you know, five or six percent of people split their tickets, at least at that part of the ballot. Yet he said that this year it could be 18 or 19 percent of people who vote for one party for president or don't vote for president and another party for, for say, the U.S. Senate or the governor's ship. Um, yeah. Do you, is that a dynamic you think you see, Scott, or is there a sense that at the end of the day it's going to be straight R's and straight D's down the line? Well, I, I'll cop out and say it's sort of all of the above. I, I, what I think will happen with the, the presidential election, and everybody seems to hate both candidates. and, and the, <laughs> That's it, right. It's measurable, right? Yeah. And um, I think uh, I, I saw that, uh, you know, 4% in the Washington Post poll didn't think that the well-being of the country would be hurt by one or the other being president. So <laughs> the supreme unpopularity of those guys. Um, so I think that w how it will affect the down-ballot race isn't so much ticket splitting, although I think there will be a lot of ticket splitting and people will be running on their own. Greitens looks like he's in a little bit of trouble in part because a lot of these, you know, the Farm Bureau, the NRA, these other folks have, have gotten in the Coster camp, things you wouldn't expect mm -hmm. for a Democrat in Missouri. But with the lack of enthusiasm at the top of the ticket, I think you're not going to have a great turnout because you won't have the organization, for instance, uh, in Missouri to, to bring those people out. And people will be, the, the incentive to go and vote against somebody is a little less robust than voting for somebody. And 
you know, Clinton tried to do this this front porch campaign for the last couple of weeks, and it seems to have backfired. The yeah. race is and, and of course, if what happens is what you say is going to happen, that really begins to hurt Democrats. You know, Democrats right. need big turnouts to win, and I agree with you. At least in Missouri, with no get out the vote mechanism. That ain't going to be happening. Um, We did see Mike Pence, the vice presidential candidate in Missouri on Monday, and Eric Greitens went along for the ride, and so they were on the stage together. Uh, But it it sticks out to me because when Hillary Clinton comes here Thursday, do we expect Jason Kander to be on the stage? Do we expect uh, Chris Coster to be on the stage with her? I, I think the answer is going to be no. We don't know for sure, but... So you get the sense that everybody's running away from everybody else this time. There is no sense that Democrats are united in Missouri to elect a Democratic ticket, or the same thing for the Republicans. And for that matter, how many times have we seen Chris Coster and Jason Kander on the same stage? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, here, here's Coster getting the NRA endorsement, the Farm Bureau. Some of that pixie dust might help Jason Kander against Roy Blunt, but you don't see them on the same stage. You certainly don't see Eric Greitens and Roy Blunt touring the state together, uh, you know, with arms clasped. Uh, it, it does seem like almost uniquely this year it's every man or woman for himself. You know, I think the tail of the tape in this election is going to be so interesting when we look back when it comes to Coster particularly. Here's this Republican-turned-Democrat who is leading for Missouri governor right now who's taken these positions anathema to many Democrats when it comes to guns, you know, most particularly, and, you know, on, on farming issues that we've seen him win endorsements there. It's so interesting, and he's ahead by a few points in the race for governor, and it appears now that the way to win, the path forward in Missouri for Democrats, unlike we've seen in Kansas, and that's a whole different topic, but Democrats are beginning to understand, like Jay Nixon, they've got to sort of sidle up to the Republicans on some issues, not be flaming liberals, not even be moderates, but be slightly to the left uh, uh, side of the spectrum uh, to, to the Democratic Party, and that's acceptable uh, to, to win a statewide race as governor. It's fascinating right now. A lot of Democrats, not real crazy about <clears throat> Chris Coster, but boy, if he ends up winning this thing by a few points, you have to begin to argue that's the path right. to victory it, if you want to win on, on the Democratic a, a, side. A lot of Democrats not crazy about Jay Nixon either, and he pursued almost the exact same strategy right. of sort of every man for himself. Um, and, and the good news is that you can get elected. The bad news is that doesn't help Hillary Clinton at all in this state or or, or Trump one way or another. They, they've got to run their own race as well. And um, uh, they're going to run those races elsewhere. They're not looking at Missouri, right? Well, the two presidential yeah. candidates, I think that's true. But if, you, if you're Roy Blunt... Do you want Trump to help you out of Missouri? Do you think it helps you if you have, you know, he's up by seven to ten points in some polls. He's got a bigger lead than Blunt has over Kander. Does does Blunt want some Trump pixie dusk in the closing hours of the campaign or not? Well, maybe I, I think maybe he would rather have some Trump elbow grease in terms of get out the vote sort of. Which is not existent, of course. Yeah, right. I mean, it's almost reverse, you know, that Blunt's get out the vote is going to help Trump. That would be more help helpful to him, though, than sharing a stage with Trump. Yeah. What about the idea of reverse coattails where, where uh, on the Missouri side anyway, Republicans who would be disinclined, say, to vote for Donald Trump cannot be convinced then to go ahead and vote for Jason Kander as well, that you, you, you get one, you know, Republicans are going to say, look, Trump is, I can't accept him, but by God, you're not going to get my vote 
for the Senate and for the yeah. governor's race. Uh, do you think that plays a bit of a factor in, in the calculations this year? Yes, I think it's a bit of a factor. Like everything's a bit of a factor here. <laughs> you know, it's as you said to begin this conversation, David, this is such an unusual year. So many uh, new factors we haven't seen before colliding with each other. Yeah, I think that's a factor, but how big of a one, I, I don't know. Uh, and mm. you, you mentioned the Kansas uh, polling and, and the efforts on the other side of the state line. It's very clear that Sam Brownback is a drag on Republicans, certainly Huge. in the primary. And now Jay Seide, who's running for the 3rd District congressional seat on the Democratic side, is really trying to tie Kevin Yoder, the incumbent, to Brownback, not to Donald Trump so much. But to Brownback, does that work? Do, do people make those linkages, do you think, Scott, or not? I think maybe a little bit more in Kansas because I think the rejection, if we can call it that, of Brownback in Kansas or his unpopularity isn't because people think, I don't like the guy, he's corrupt, he's dirty, which people do think of the presidential candidates. It's because they don't like the way his policies have been working out. The tax cuts didn't supercharge right, the right. economy like he had said they would. Instead, the state's budget's been in chronic trouble for how many years now? That's what carries on to the other candidates. On, on the other hand, you could, I think Kevin Yoder could argue, look, I didn't have anything to do with what Sam Brownback did in Kansas. I'm a congressman. I have, you know, obviously a, a role in federal policy, but not in state policy. But whenever you have a governor who's polling, you know, 70 percent unfavorably, in the third congressional district of Kansas, which is where Brownback is right now, those are astonishing numbers. Absolutely breathtaking. Interesting to note the third district of Kansas very, very heavy when it comes to college-educated voters. Those voters tend to move against folks, conservatives like Brownback and maybe to some extent Kevin Yoder. So, is that a factor in that race? Absolutely. The question is how much of a factor it is. I still uh, have a difficult time seeing a path forward for Jay Sidey. No one knows who the guy is. And you're right that the relationship between Brownback and Yoder is, is it's there, but it's tenuous. Whenever the head of the ticket is that unpopular, it's going to depress everything for Republicans to some degree, a little bit at least. But is that enough to give someone an unknown? It'd be an unbelievable upset if he pulled this thing off. Boy, I, I still am not quite seeing it. Yeah, I think Brownback's not on the ballot. He's not on that ticket. That's he's right. head of the party in the state, but he's not on the we, we, uh, Final sort of discussion on this point, and we'll move on. I also get the sense, maybe you guys disagree or agree, but you also get the sense that if you're, if there is going to be a lot of ticket splitting, if it's going to be, you know, I, do I like or not like Trump or Clinton, do I like or not like Roy Blunt or whoever it is, that you're asking voters to really sort of think through their the vote they're going to cast and sort of make a, a decision on each race. Scott said something that I think is so important. I think it's going to be a low turnout yeah. election. I, I and, agree. And I, so if you got to sit there and think about people, it, you're not going to do it. Right. Yeah. The people that have to go through this whole calculus uh, may just say, the hell with it. I'm not, uh, you know, who, who, who wants to go to the polling place and sort of figure all this out? I'll just stay home that day. And the, then you'll get just the ticket people going. Okay. So look in Kansas. Who does that bring out? The, the, the person who's paying close attention. Nobody in this country knows who their state legislator is. And yet in Kansas, that rate, that those decisions, whether they're going to be, you know, the Democrats or some of these moderates are going to break through, 
the, the people have to be paying attention. I, I, I right. got to think that's going to help the Republicans. And they clearly did, right, and they did play uh, in Kansas. Pay attention in the primary. Right. To our, to all of our surprise, to some degree, the primary tends to be a sort of a, a conservative bastion, particularly for Republicans in Kansas. But whether in November you, in essence, will get voters who go to the polls in Kansas and say, look, okay, is it Trump? I don't like him. Do I like Jay Seide, Kevin Yoder? Is that connected? And then, as you suggest, vote for some Democrats on the state legislature. It just seems too complicated for most voters who vote tickets for a reason. And the reason is it's easier. You you know what Republicans mean. You know what Democrats well, mean. Well, we have two <clears throat> forces colliding against each other here. One is this low turnout idea uh, that would favor Republicans. The other idea, though, I think it's important, always ask yourself, where's the energy in a race? Where's the energy in Kansas right now? The energy is with moderates and Democrats. They're, they're the ones who have the mojo. We saw it in August. I think we're going to see some of it more play out in November. You know, so, so again, two I, ideas I colliding you, against right. each other. And I think even Republicans are expecting Democrats and moderates to have a fairly good night. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, but you are asking voters in Kansas and to some degree in Missouri, in essence, to work through a maze. Who, who, you know, who, what are the connections? To have the conversation in their heads, basically the one we've just had, what, what can you fairly link Donald Trump and Roy Blunt? Can you fairly link uh, Eric Greitens and Roy Blunt or, or Chris Coster and Jason Kander and Hillary mm -hmm. Clinton? And uh, my guess is because of the dislike of the two people at the top of the ticket is so intense that a lot of people who, who have to make up their minds that way may not vote at all. They'll just stay home and just say, And well, that affects even conservative going. Republicans, though, right. who might be inclined to back the people they've been backing the last few cycles yeah. here. Now, you well, mentioned go Steve's ahead. energy idea to Missouri. I think that becomes really difficult to sort out. I, I agree. I would argue that, and I have argued for a while, that there's going to be some energy for Trump. Trump is new, radically different sort of government. Um, but does that does that bleed to over to Roy Blunt, who is his old establishment, been around forever? Uh, but maybe it helps at Eric Greitens. I don't know. Right. Well, I, um, and I would agree with you on the energy for Trump, but I think the, the people who are energetic for Trump are a smaller slice sure. of the electorate. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, it's difficult to get them to 50% of energized people, maybe it's 30%. That's why I think, you know, Roy Blunt is in such a difficult position because he doesn't want to make the Trump people angry. He needs that 30%. Mm -hmm. But if he, you know, if he goes all in for Trump, then he, maybe he loses that other 20% that are more marginal. And I think Kander faces kind of the same dilemma with Hillary Clinton. She's yeah. deeply unpopular in Missouri. He's endorsed her, but Again, they're not on the same stage. They're not, you know, the whole Robin Carnahan uh, 2010 experience with Barack Obama, I think, informs everybody, mm -hmm. which is, by and large, in Missouri and Kansas, run your own damn race and don't really depend on or run away from your candidate. Just run your own race. And I think that's kind of playing out. And, and that's why you will not states. see Jason Kander or Chris Coster with Hillary Clinton when she comes to town this yeah, week. Yeah. No way. Okay. Let's move on to polling. You mentioned polling a little bit, and uh, I, the, the couple of polls out this week showed a fairly strong in Missouri. Now we're not paying as much attention to Kansas. hasn't been as there ha hasn't been as much polling in that state, but in Missouri, uh, Trump plus seven, another has him plus ten. Do we think that's about right? And he's you know he was plus one two weeks ago. 
maybe Missouri reflects this big bounce back that he's had over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think that appears to be the case. It's more likely that it's a seven-point race than a one-point race in Missouri. You know, watch what they do, not what they say. If you look at it that way, you don't see any movement from the Democrats nationally to infiltrate Missouri and try to put this state into play. Why do you think Hillary is coming to Missouri? Well, she, this National Baptist thing goes far beyond the borders of, of Kansas City. It's much City, more important I, I than guess. it is about Missouri. Yeah, is about that, that'd be my sense. This is a, an important constituency across the country, and that's what why, she, why she's coming here. So, you know, if she was moving in here, that would suggest that she thinks that the states would in play. And uh, you've been told, I've been told, it, it's, that doesn't seem to be in the offing whatsoever here. There's a lot of chat, as you know, Scott, about the, the various demographics in the presidential race. And I think that I read a story yesterday that it's all come down to college-educated white women in the suburbs, or is it the African-American vote or Latinos? I always discount that a little bit. You know, votes are fungible things. Everybody's vote is equal. If you do well with college-educated women and do poorly with African-Americans, you know, it, I mean, you have to do well with everybody, don't you, arguably? I think sometimes we get too uh, hung up on this sort of demographic breakdown of voters. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You're, votes are absolutely fungible. I, but if you're, you're getting slaughtered with African-Americans and particularly Hispanics in a way that, say, Romney wasn't, you know, if you look at all those right. sorts of numbers, Trump is badly underperforming uh, where Romney was, and yet the race is really close. So I, I'm, I'm honestly puzzled by what the heck's going on. Yeah, I, and polling, of course, we always do, want to discount a little bit. You, you do worry a little bit, though, that the, the, the politics of identity are becoming a little too stark, that it's becoming a racially divided electorate in a way that hasn't right. been quite as profound as you know, you know, you know one thing that really strikes me at this point in the race going back to that word energy again you know you're you're right if there's any energy out there there's a little bit for donald trump man there is nothing going on with hillary right yeah. now there is no juice not in our area no, no mojo no I, I just don't you don't you know, not in our area and you wonder how much anywhere right now that is such a huge problem for her that she's got to start figuring out some way to get people. Do you think that's you know, true? In, I mean, I think what she's betting on, I, I don't necessarily disagree, but you get the sense of what she's betting on is, look, I've got tons more money. I bought up all the ad time. My organization it puts his to absolute shame. I mean, he's got nobody in any of the states. Uh, I'm getting endorsements. You know, she's running sort of a classic campaign and then doesn't want to mess up in the end. And, I, you know, you may be right that that's the wrong approach, but it's clearly, it's not stupid. It's not, she's not an idiot about that. I think, she, you know, she's waiting for him to make mistakes. And he's shown some propensity to do that, too. Yeah. You don't agree with that? But you got to give reason to people to vote for you and, and get off the couch and go to the polls. And I'm thinking about independent voters and you know, minority voters, are, are, you know, are you sensing any juice for her? And it's flatlining right now. That can change. She's sort of sat in the porch for, you know, three or four weeks here and, and sort of sat it out a little bit. But um, And you have the drip, drip, drip of scandal around well, her. Well, of course. I, I, it's, you know, it sort of gets a sense that's, she's that's, deliberately trying to stay a little bit of a low profile while the drip, drip, drip of scandal comes out with the emails primarily. And, and every time we know more... The, the absolute quid pro quo with the Clinton Foundation isn't quite there, but it still looks slimy in the way people were sort of paid to play. 
but that you'll ride that out a little bit. And then the X factor to me is the, the debates. And I, I suspect she thinks and her camp thinks that she'll come out looking like the smart person in the debates. It could backfire. He's such an unpredictable player there. Oh, man. But That's what we thought with Al Gore and George W. Bush going into those debates, and W. did just fine, you know. And you yeah, just, this is different. you got to admit this is different. Well, of course it's different. You know, it's very different. But um, I mean, I think one of the th- arguments I heard yesterday, which I think has some validity, is the bar is so low for Donald Trump in the debates that if he shows up and is remotely well, – uh, coherent and coherent that that he'll actually do better than people yeah, expect. I, I think real humans react differently than reporters in the consultant class to expectations. They actually, I think that's true. They look at the debate and think, well, which one looks like they're the the better person to run. But the but but that is so important, Scott. And one of the things I think is behind all of the movement away from her and toward him in the last two weeks is people are beginning to see Donald. Trump as a plausible president of the United States. For the first time, really, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think some voters, particularly those who may be undecided or in the middle, look at him and think, yeah, maybe he could be president. That was a huge hurdle for him because I think, you know, there at one point there was a poll that said 51% of Americans absolutely would not vote for Donald Trump under any circumstances. Because of his persona, his temperament, mm-hmm. his approach to issues, his, you know, his waving his arms and saying f- stupid things. But he's uh, put that in a box a little bit. This last he week, has. Right? He's gone well, to the, the new consultants, Kellyanne right. Conway, the mm-hmm. new people aboard have clearly got him Because the or, threshold for everyone is. It was the threshold for Reagan. It's the threshold particularly for any challenger is, can I see this yes. man or woman as president? If he can can I watch him or her on TV? and think, yeah, that guy or the gal is a plausible chief executive of the United States. And my argument has been that for months, most Americans said, no, Trump's crazy. But, if he but can they've cro- gotten past that now. If, and they that's can cross, if he can cross that threshold, Donald Trump, at this point in the campaign, after all that's gone before him, that will be the, the greatest miracle in the history of American presidential politics. I mean, look where he, what he, where he's been, what he's been through, and now people are deciding that he might be presidential. You're right. right. If they can begin to see him that way, Katie bar the door. Shot. And and the, the the plausibility meter is so important for for Trump, more important than it is for Clinton, because I think people can see her as president. She's been around forever. But I, somebody suggested today he's the first president. A presidential candidate in modern history who has never been either in the military or in politics. I mean, he has no. So he is a complete uh, rookie, and 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 an unknown for voters. And I just and, think for months people have said, "No, I don't want to look at that on my TV screen for four years." And over the last two weeks, people can say, "Well, okay, maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world." Can that, that change? You're suggesting it can. I agree with you. In this yeah. modern age, it can. That by itself to me is unbelievable that it can change after all that's gone before. You know, again, what, what, what's incredible to me is that Trump does score a little better when it comes to the trustworthy factor, which is what's undermining and decimating Hillary Clinton's campaign. That's amazing to me, you know, given so many inaccurate statements Trump has made over the years and months. But that's where we are. Right. And it just begins to show people are disinclined to go for Hillary. I mean, there's. There's no heartbeat there. They're, they're, they don't want to go there, and they're still looking for a, a plan B. But you guys don't—I I think the debates are going to settle that question. 
to a large degree. Do you you think I'm putting too much? No, I think more so as much as ever before. Sure. Yeah, I, I I'm not. I think people look at the debates differently than we do. I think it does answer the threshold question, but nothing else. I mean, I don't think people are turning uh, tuning in to well. I want to compare Trump's tax plans with with Hillary's. I mean, this I, is the I most issueless campaign. I think what they'll measure is. Can he articulate a tax plan? Can he articulate a, a Middle East policy and, and all the rest? If she's smart, she will she will challenge him at every turn. What do you mean? What are you saying? What right. is the plan, Mr. Trump? Well, and, and, you know, and in addition— Because he, he hasn't gone there yet. And at some point, don't we have to get serious about what you're going to do? Right. I mean, here's a guy whose campaign who blew away the Republican establishment on the issue of immigration— and it's what we're in September now, and, it, and we fun, suddenly realize we don't really know what his position is. On he's it. backtracking on where he's been. Yeah. On the on, yeah. on the central but you know issue, what, fellas, But you know what? I think her, what she is trying to do now, and will try and do until election day, is prove he's crazy. It, it, she doesn't need to prove that he's wrong on immigration or wrong on jobs or wrong on Iraq. She wants to prove he's crazy. You, you, you can't you, trust him in the, the Oval only office, way yeah. to get past the trust problem that Hillary Clinton has is to say, my opponent, I, I may be untrustworthy, I may have lied about the mm -hmm. emails, I may be crazy on, or I may be But uh, you want that problem. guy sitting But do you him? want this crazy yeah. man, President of the United States? And, and he, in August, early August, reinforced that idea of the crazy when he went out against the Khan family and all the other things that happened. And what's happened over the last two weeks is he's dialed down the nut, mm -hmm. you know, the crazy. That causes the race to shrink, and in that sense, that's what the debates are important about. Are you, is Donald Trump an acceptable president, or is he out of his mind? That was which kind means, of which means he has to demonstrate a, and offer a completely different persona as a precisely. candidate than we've seen throughout the and primary season. And of course, what season. the great irony of that is, is you're asking voters to support a man who can turn his persona on and off like that, right. uh, you know, on a dime for political reasons. And I think that has its own its own dangers because some people like the crazy. They want they're voting for a guy who wants to go in and, and metaphorically, of course, blow everything up. And to the extent he becomes sort of a boring guy, that that threatens some of his base on the other side. So I think he has a tricky uh, uh, approach to make, and that's why the debates are important because people like maybe think, see, make he's that thinking judgment, now he can but. get away with offering both one persona on the campaign trail, one persona in the debates. And maybe that's the path forward for him. Again, we've never seen a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde candidate. Right. If that because proves for to be better where, where or for he's worse, going. Hillary Clinton is who Hillary Clinton is. No, right. I mean it isn't as if people are sitting around trying to figure her out. But I do think that his problems in the suburbs are reflective of this idea of crazy, and his support in some other areas is based on the same idea. And that's really the threshold, and that's how she gets past this trust issue, mm -hmm. her personal trust issue. Whether she can make it stick or not, I don't know. Well, clearly, He's been that's smart the play over the last making, two weeks to avoid that. That's the, that's the play the Clinton campaign is making, or the Democrats. There's this new new controversial add-up with the, what is it, the atomic bomb going off? or right. You, you know, can't have his finger on the button. You know, it's that thing. It's, it's have you 1964 seen, Goldwater Johnson all over yeah, again. Yeah, we need to move on a little bit. But have you ever seen a campaign that has based its advertising almost solely on what the other guy has said. <laughs> I mean, every Clinton ad, every Clinton, you know, related PAC ad is just Donald Trump. And I was watching the other day thinking, yeah, that's probably a smart strategy. He said some really silly things over time. 
On the other hand, he, he's not buying any advertising time. Every ad you have has him in it. Mm-hmm. That's a little risky too, in a way. I mean, you, because I, know, I think I think he's given her so much material there, and I I I, I disagree with your little your idea that him switch making the switch hurts him because I think he's got forty percent of the electorate locked up, as does she. Just going in with the right. identity by her name, and I don't think I think it's only the sober, stable Donald Trump that that works from a teleprompter or, or, or at least with that sensibility that has any that, chance that has any this. chance of moving the number up right above and, that. and so his her challenge in the debate is to move him off the right. prompter and go back to crazy trump yeah and I, everything you read suggests that her practice is uh involves needling him and teasing him about and she'll have to do the debates help um interpret for the the viewer that what this person just said is crazy yeah. and explain that why that is. Okay, so I think it's, it's a tough task. For well, and she has to go there because, quick, name one thing she would do as president that's different than what Barack Obama has done. Well, I think at the margins she changes you know, a little, she's, she's a little more, more aggressive. Yeah, well, she okay, it's the same thing. There's, there's nothing, yeah. no new initiatives here, yeah. no no new direction for the country. That's not, sec- that's not a great sell. No. So, of course, she's going to point it at Donald Trump because— She's not offering anything new. Yeah, in the final nine weeks, and then we'll move on and talk a little bit about Phyllis Schlafly, but in the final nine weeks, the absolute goal of both campaigns is to disqualify the other candidate from holding, from going to the White House. And Trump is going to argue that she's untrustworthy and she's a liar. She's not healthy. She coughs too much. We need to see her medical records. The whole, the whole to a degree, we've never seen the effort will be to disqualify the other, and the winner of that argument will be the next president. And that will drive turnout States. down to bring this full circle with, with profound implications for down-belt races in be, Missouri and Kansas. Be, yeah. Because I, I've often said to people back in my Truth Watch days, if you had McDonald's going on television every night and saying, you know what, you may not like our hamburgers, but <laughs> by God, Burger King is horrible, mm-hmm. you know, and Burger King making the same argument about McDonald's, we would not be surprised if people said, I'm not going to eat either hamburger. I'm going to go to Arby's or whatever it is. And yet somehow in our presidential campaigns, we're allowed to criticize the other candidate and then be surprised when people... Well, that's because Arby's is is Jill Stein and Gary Johnson, and people have not shown an inclination to go more than Mm -hmm. 10%. Right, which is why I think they stay home. All right, let's talk uh, before we go, we've been going a little long. About Phyllis Schlafly, who died We're on going long, Labor Day. That. That's right, yeah. <laughs> on Labor Day. Um, you know, she was. A, I wrote a little bit of an obituary to talk to people. She was an astonishingly polarizing figure. Yes. People don't. People of our age remember this, but maybe younger listeners would not understand really what Phyllis Schlafly, what her voice meant in the '70s, particularly on the Equal Rights Amendment and how that was going to lead to unisex bathrooms and women in combat, which, of course, ironically, both of those are still issues or still discussed in 2016. But I think you can draw a direct line from uh, Phyllis Schlafly to Rush Limbaugh to Donald Trump, mm. in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really... She was one she of was the... a f- Trump delegate. She was. But she was also an outsized, unabashed conservative voice, which I think, particularly in the 1970s, he didn't see a lot about. Nixon was for the Equal Rights Amendment. You know, Jerry Ford uh, and, and Betty Ford were out there saying, hey, this is a great thing. Well, she was the first in that new wave, is what you're saying, right. of conservatives. And she was St. Louis-based. We would cover her occasionally over here on this side of the state line when she showed up at conventions. I don't think we knew her well, 
But to do anything less than to call her a force of nature would be doing her uh, a massive injustice And she here. showed Republicans the road to, to power by emphasizing media. She was on every station you know, mm-hmm. can imagine and in newspaper stories and holding news conferences. I mean, it was almost sort of a 60s Abby Hoffman approach, you know, protests and marches and, and you know, waving pamphlets. And that really... You know, th- that made her sort of pre-modern in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just wasn't heard of back then on the right. Now, on the left, you had all, you know, all the things you had in the 60s. But on the right, the idea, uh, particularly of a woman, by the way, stepping up in the Republican Party and, and, in essence, being such an outsized media personality, I think, set the template for the Limbaugh's and the Reagan's to a degree, and even the Donald Trump's yeah, it's, of the world. You know, I was an intern covering the Illinois legislature in 1982 when the ERA was being battled. And it, it, it ultimately went down in part because it was gaveled down by George Ryan, the Speaker of the House, who, like all statewide figures in Illinois, went to prison later on. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, Dave, you're exactly right. What she did was she made it socially acceptable to be conservative. No, you know, she was a a backlash to the 70s style feminism. And I think particularly for conservative women to say, no, that's not how I see the world. Phyllis Schlafly made that acceptable for a a large... And and she understood symbolism so well. You know, it wasn't that the Equal Rights Amendment, we could have an argument over whether it's good policy or not, but her idea was, no, that means women and men going to the bathroom together, and that means Mm -hmm. women carrying M16s, and all the things that she attached as symbols to a policy debate again I think was a was a template really for what the what the conservative movement in this country has become. I think all this is a pretty good obituary for Phyllis Shafley. Well, okay, great. Yeah. Steve Kraske with KCUR's up to date. Thanks for joining us. You Kansas City David. Star and uh, Scott Cannon with the Kansas City Star as well. Yep. Thanks for being with us. We'll be with you next week to talk about the race as we head toward election day. A reminder tell your friends about Deep Background and subscribe and send us notes and and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. (laughs) Again, I'm Dave Helling with the Kansas City Star. You have been on Deep Background.